It's very exciting to be with you this morning. We are closing up a series called One Another. And this series, uh, this, this uh, summer, has been about uh, the church and how the church lives together as one another. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at how the body works in unison together and how it functions together. My clicker's not working, guys. So why don't you push me forward one? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, look this morning at... Uh, I got it now. You good? All right. You know, I, early in the summer, I preached at uh, third service. And uh, second service, my mic wasn't working. You know, it was, just, it was down in my shirt somewhere. We had to find it. And I started out, my opening words, third service, second service, was awkward opening. So maybe I should just start over here. Awkward opening. <laughs> Satan is in the technology, I'm convinced. But, you know, actually, this, this actual thing is an example of um, the church. You know, we can't do church alone. We can't do church alone. We are a body, and the body is woven together by many members. The tech guys are a part of the body. Maybe the part you don't see, but if it doesn't work, nothing works. It's a beautiful thing. Paul is giving us a parable here of the body because he is addressing the Corinthian church. And if you don't know about the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church was this powerhouse of the Holy Spirit moving through a cosmopolitan city, making people turn from their darkness, from their isolation, from their loneliness to Jesus. But as they grew as a church, they got full of themselves. And people began going this way, that way, up, down, backwards, falling apart. And Paul's letter to the Corinthians, this beautiful letter, requires Paul to put this passage in the midst of the letter after he's talked about all kinds of problems. He gives them this image of the body. And then when he's done, he then says, there's a greater thing that powers all this, and it is Love. You know, if a body doesn't work and function in all of its members, it dies. Have you heard the parable of the stomach? It's, it's a wonderful little parable. The parable of the stomach is a, a, a synopsis of what Paul's saying here. Here's how the parable goes. Uh, one time, the brain noticed the work that the stomach was doing and received some information about being hungry, and said to the mouth, hey, mouth, did you notice that the stomach is always taking everything? I mean, I get hungry, you do all the chewing, Mr. Hand grabs stuff and slices, and because he's a good Episcopalian, he knows how to use a dessert fork. (laughs) And the large intestine said, Yes, and I'm always down here getting the leftovers. What's wrong with that stomach? He takes everything. And so the brain and the hands and the mouth 
and the intestines said, let's not feed the stomach. He's just greedy and waiting to get everything. Well, we know what happens, don't we? When we ignore the stomach. We call that an eating disorder. We call that a dying body. This morning, I want us to look at three things. And you can understand this, this whole passage in this whole sermon with just three little words. We, we, you, ours. Not bad, huh? A sermon that comes with hand signals. <laughs> we, you, ours. But the only way we can have we, you, and ours, if, if we counter me, I, and mine, because we, my, and I, and mine, those are the things that kill the body. They kill the body of Christ. And this is what Paul is talking about when he addresses the Corinthian church. It is dying, and he wants to bring it back to health. So first, from me to we, you know, we live in a, in a world dominated by me. And it's been a shift over the last 50 years. There was a time in our culture, in our history, when the impetus for a person's life was not me, it was we. But in the last 50 or 60 years, we have become disordered and sick by becoming a me culture. You know, if you're feeling awkward in a social situation, what should you do? Just be yourself. Get rid of the jacket, get rid of the tie, put on a pair of combat boots and an ACDC t-shirt. Woo! I'm feeling good now. Should I do that? No. I bought a new pair of slacks for this service. Why? Because it's not about me. But our culture says, look, if you're feeling awkward, just be yourself. Because it's about you. It's about me. You know, if you su- suffer with an addiction or you've, you've done something horrible, what does our culture tell us? To say, I learned a lot about myself. I hope you did. Did you hurt anyone? Did you violate God? Did you destroy your family and friends? No. I learned a lot about myself. Having a hard time getting through, having a hard time achieving, the me culture says, just believe in yourself, and then it tags on, and you can be anything you want to be. It's all inside, and it's all eternal. It's all inside. It's all internal. Somebody that you're in conflict with, what should you do? The right thing, the godly thing, The thing that Christ would have you do? No, stand up for yourself. Have you heard this or is it just me? This is the result of a culture that has moved from a sense of we to a sense of me. This was the problem in a very cosmopolitan, very sophisticated city called Corinth. And that's why Paul had to use this metaphor of the body. You know, in 2004, Britney Spears wrote a fan letter 
And here's what she listed as her priorities. Myself, my husband, Kevin, and starting a family. But here's what's so tragic. We know what happened to Brittany, don't we? We know what happened to her. We know that Kevin's gone, long gone. And Brittany lives and grows up and is in the water of a culture that says you must put yourself first. If you don't believe me yet, listen, the longtime slogan of the insurance giant Prudential was changed in the 1990s from get a piece of the rock to what? Be your own rock. I mean, this is a corporate giant. If you don't think that we're in a me culture yet, how about this? The U.S. Army, perhaps the last organization one might expect to focus on the individual instead of the group, has followed suit. Their slogan, adopted in 2001, is what? Army of one. We moved from Uncle Sam wants you to army of one. So Paul, he writes these words. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we, friends, brothers and sisters, we, we are all one body. Baptized by one spirit. Washed in the water. Brought back up from death. Included in a beautiful family. Offered the body and blood of Jesus as the sign and symbol that we are now family. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we are all given the one spirit. The one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. See, if we are living in the the drinking water of this culture that so powerfully tells us to focus on me, it is a radical and it is a miraculous thing that we're all together in this room. Amen? Absolutely a miracle. But I want to ask you a question this morning. When you orient yourself to the world... When you walk through the doors, when you pull up the parking lot, when you come and sit down, what is your fundamental orientation about the church and your role within the church? Is your fundamental understanding of the church me? Or is your fundamental understanding of the church we? And here's how you'll know. Are you going to rate this sermon on a scale of 1 to 10 and decide whether I did a good job or not? Are you going to get mad at somebody sitting in your seat because it's your seat? Did you come here to consume a product? To get filled for a short amount of time and then to leave? Is the church fundamentally about what you can receive in order to be a more self-fulfilled human being? And let me tell you, that is a challenge because the world is telling us that is exactly what the church ought to be. Commodified, consumable, that all of us get to take in in order for us to have our self-needs met. Correct? Instead, here's how the church 
becomes beautiful? Do you participate? Do you participate? Do you have skin in the game? Are you known? Do you say as, as the beautiful, beautiful elderly woman at my mom's church in upstate New York, little tiny community church said, pastor was leaving. Someone said, are you going to find a new church? He was a great pastor. She said, this is our church. This is our church. How could I leave our church? Through thick or thin, through good and bad. The covenant fulfilled in Christ has made her a new person, and now the church is about our church. Her participation is vital. Is your participation vital? Are you just here to consume? Now, that's the first thing, the challenge of me, the beauty of we. But you could actually be a very busy person, a very active person in the church, and still not be benefiting the body of Christ, still not be making the body of Christ flourish and grow and be healthy. You could be the brain or the leg or the toe or the intestine saying, let's not feed the stomach. So we must move on to the second thing. From me to we, from I, from I to you. See, the fundamental orientation of a person who's a born-again Christian who has accepted that they're a sinner and invited Jesus into their life to reign and rule is that they go from me to we, but they also go from I to you. Our orientation is me to we. Our focus, our purpose goes from making sure that I can do it, I can satisfy it, I can take care of it, I can handle it, I can correct it, to Jesus, you take care of it. You corrected it. You healed it. You empowered it. And now I will serve you. The I cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. Do you see it? On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Do you ever break a digit? Don't think it's that important, do you? Wait till you break it. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. You know, in western Pennsylvania, we have a huge problem. And the problem of I and me has caused us to become a culture that is very, very isolated because of our desire to always make sure that we have it taken care of, that we can handle things, that we can correct it on our own, correct? Hey guys, uh, what does your workshop look like? Do you have your own mower? Do you have your own ladder? Do you have your own drill? Do you have your own Makita set? Ladies, I'm not trying to discourage you. Go ahead. Go to Home Depot this weekend. I'm okay with that. But, you know, as, a, as an American man, I feel embarrassed if I have to go over to Bill's house and ask him for a 20-foot ladder because I don't own one. Why is that? Because I was born and bred an American man. And American men are supposed to be strong and independent and be able to take care of everything on their own. Right? Yes, men. Correct. 
We are, we are significant. We are, we are in, independent. And our wives who have more DNA than we do that is functioning understand that you are healthy when you are connected. Isolation is a huge problem in our region because we have figured out how to get all the stuff we need to have the house we need and the car we need and the garage we need and the backyard we need and the pool in the backyard that we need and the phone that we need and the television in every room that we need and the ability to move from work to home in such a way that we don't need anyone. And one of the things that's aching every single person's heart in this room is the problem of isolation and loneliness. We're isolated and we're lonely because we've taken care of everything. You know it's true. I know it's true. Let me tell you a story about this. Prior to planning a church here in, in Pittsburgh, my wife and my family were in Bluffton, South Carolina. We planted a church in Hilton Head Island it grew very rapidly and, and lots of folks were moving in. One of the reasons why lots of folks were moving in and, and joining the church is because of a, a little community called Sun City, right off the Beltway. Sun City's slogan was, 55 and better. 55 and better. You couldn't become part of the Sun City community unless you were 55 or better. And if you were a little guy, you could visit, but you couldn't live there. And it was, they had everything. They had all the amenities you could want. But here's what we found over and over again. The folks from Sun City would come into the church and then they'd ask for a counseling appointment and then they'd sit down and we'd sit together and we'd start talking. And you know what we talk about? We talk about the fact that even though they had every single thing that they wanted, that their retirement had worked out well, that their investments had worked out well, that they could play as much golf and as much tennis and, and have as much leisure as they wanted, they were what? Lonely and isolated, and fragmented. Sharon was a beautiful woman. Beautiful. She and Stan moved to Hilton Head Island to retire, and, and she came to me, and we had one of these counseling sessions. She was so lonely, she wept. She said, Pastor Jay, I can't take another golf game. <laughs> Imagine someone saying that. <laughs> You'd think it'd be impossible. I said, Sharon, why not? He said, I, I'm lonely. I feel like I don't have any purpose in life. And I said, Sharon, you know, you're part of a body now. And part of the body means that your focus can't just be on you. And maybe, maybe it's a mistake for you to or, orient your whole life around what you get and what, what pleasures you get and, and how leisurely everything is and how comfortable you are. And she just wept and she agreed. Months later, I, I saw... Sharon, she got involved in the church. She started to own things. She started to be known. She started to participate. She had this beaming smile. I said, Sharon, what are you doing? You look happy. She said, Pastor Jay, I started a ministry. I have adopted all of the military wives in this town. I said, go, you go, girl. I said, what are you doing? She said, we're putting care packages together for all these men that are over at war. And we're embracing all these women. We're praying with them. We have Bible studies. I said, how's your golf game? She said, oh, stop. <laughs> she didn't have time for golf. 
Why? Because her fundamental orientation was on others. She went from I to you, and finally her life broke open. And the body of Christ benefited. Amen? Amen? Why is this possible? Here's why. Because Jesus Christ, in perfect community with the Trinity, in love with the Father, serving one another beautifully, gave all that up to become one of us. And he walked and he prayed lonely in a garden. All of his friends betrayed him at the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the day of his death, he was betrayed by everyone. And he hung on a cross and he was isolated. And he became the most isolated person cosmically so that you and I would not have to be alone anymore. Amen? It's beautiful. It's the reason why Sharon was able to do the thing she did in the church. Finally, mine to yours. You know, the thing that so encourages isolation and so encourages individualism is our consumerism. We make a lot. We work hard. We do a lot. We get a lot. And because of that, we we now have the ability to surround ourselves with so many things that we don't need others. We think we don't need others, but it's killing us. Now you are the body of Christ. And each part of you is part of it. It, a possession. Jesus says to his friends in Matthew 6, don't store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and seal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and seal. Because where your treasure is, through your heart, is going to be also. See, here's the fundamental thing. Even though our stuff makes us feel powerful and even though our stuff is wonderful that God made us to make stuff, to be fruitful and multiply, to flourish, we can ta- attach ourselves to our stuff. And then we can start to become isolated and think it's all about us. You know, I know this church doesn't struggle with worship wars. I mean, there's no elephant in the living room here. (laughs) You know? No. Only other churches struggle with that because only other churches struggle with the fact that some things become mine and ours. Only in some churches do younger generations disrespect older generations and say, you know what, I know that you've been worshiping in this way for 40 or 50 years. All the prayers are rote, but we want it our way. I know this church doesn't struggle with that. Only some churches do. Right? I know that only other churches have folks who say, you know, there's only one way to do it. And if it includes jeans and a pair of boots... It's from the devil. That can't be good. You know, all the old guys used to say, unity in the essentials. Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead, the word of God is inspired. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by works lest any man should boast. Unity in the essentials. Grace in the secondary things, the important things, the things we disagree about. What's the nature of the Eucharist? What's the role of women in ministry? Should we baptize children or adults? Predestination or free? Those are important things. We need grace in those. And we need freedom in the things that are beautiful or that just are. Worship styles. 
what you wear, the kind of songs you sing. The Lord can bless all of that. Maybe it shouldn't be theirs and ours. Maybe it should be both. Maybe it should be not mine, but ours. Could this church be a church that says, go left, go right, we bless it all. The Lord would move powerfully in this place if you said that. Friends, in closing, Paul gives us a beautiful image of the church. It's a body. And the body has to sacrifice one to the other, has to trust one to the other, has to rely one to the other. All that can happen because of what Jesus did on the cross to bring us together. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But this church is loved. This church is prayed for. This church is a beacon in the darkness. Show the world that this church can be the church, one another. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. Your word is a double-edged sword able to, to penetrate the soul and divide bone and flesh. Your word is a comfort to us in our loneliness. Your word is a beautiful beacon in the night. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will move powerfully through the work of your Holy Spirit to help us to repent of our selfishness, repent of our, of our, our self-reliance, repent of our, our false ownership of things that we need to give away in order for you to open up the world and bless it. And so we offer this time to you in Jesus' name, amen.